Hello, I'm Pommy Harmer and you're listening to the 10th podcast in the series Follow the Sun. I'm with Marian Mente who wrote this book which presents the sequence of the Zodiac as a story. Hello Marian. Hi Pommy. Welcome back. Thank you, lovely to be here. Now, on his quest to follow the sun, Aries has travelled along the sun's path, learning about himself, his world and his place in it, maturing through the course of his journey. During the podcast series, we've also discussed the astrological themes of planetary principles, the expressions of the signs, their quadruplicities, triplicities and aspects of squares, trines, conjunctions and oppositions. In this chapter, Aries has reached the snow-clad peaks of Capricorn, whose planetary ruler is Saturn. First, we'll hear about Capricorn's characteristics, and later we'll discuss Saturn and what is known as the Saturn return. So, Marianne, tell me all about Capricorn, because I don't think many people know much about Capricorn. No, they don't, and yet, in fact, it's the most ambitious sign of the zodiac, actually, Uh, I'll tell you that the Capricorn is, it has the the symbol of the sea goat. That's the upper body of a goat and, and the hindquarters is a fish's tail with flukes that go on itself. And it's a domain of Saturn. That's the planet associated with limitation and bringing into form and focus. And the energy of Capricorn is yin. Its element is earth. The winter solstice falls in Capricorn, so it has a cardinal quality. Being the 10th sign, it begins mid-December to mid-January and is associated with greater ambition, discipline, industriousness, perseverance, concentration and order. Also with the skeleton and the knees. Uh, when you know you need the skeleton to hang anything on, you can, it's most important. Without the skeleton, we're just blobs of jelly. <laughs> so, so when expressed positively... The spirit of Capricorn is innovative, yet it's patient, it's persistent, diplomatic, diligent, reliable, cautious, fastidious and thrifty. Everything you need to make CEO. (laughs) Ah, I see. um, But when negative, it can be inhibited, aloof, impersonal, seem rather stern, egotistical, calculating and in extremes, too introspective. And perhaps miserly. Capricorn is the polar opposite of Cancer, and the sign of Capricorn's natural place is at the top of the chart, and it rules the tenth house of career and ambitions. And in the story, her domain is the mountain peaks, the highest place in the land, from which she's got a view, you know, all over, commanding view. And this landscape suggests also a cool aloofness. And being on the peaks, Capricorn charts the changes in the weather and the cycles of the planets, bringing into play the diligence of this energy and its capacity, ambition to be in charge. In this chapter, matters do come to a head and everything does indeed start coming into order. I love it. All right, so what's happened up to this point? Well, Aries' quest has brought him through the signs of the zodiac to the point where he's rescued by Sagittarius after his near-death experience in Scorpio's labyrinth, which brought the realisation that he has a realm of his own, which he now endeavours to return to. But he's still got some travelling to do and Sag has brought him to Capricorn's realm to recover from his ordeal. Libra, however, is awaiting news in Scorpio's chamber, believing that Aries is still in the labyrinth and fears he's probably died there. 
Scorpio, meanwhile, is searching for Ares or his body in the labyrinth, for she and Libra now know that Ares carries the black pearl, which must be found before the light of the 13th moon fades, or other deaths will follow. While in Capricorn's care, Ares learns valuable lessons concerning his world and its relation to the lights in the night sky together with unsettling news about the transforming fire. And Capricorn also unfolds the mystery of the importance of the Black Pearl, a gem Ares believes is still with cancer. Marking time. Capricorn's mood was sombre as she poured over her charts and log of weather cycles. Something was amiss. The high blizzards had come too early to the peaks, so she'd spent the whole day checking and rechecking her data to be sure she hadn't overlooked something that would have given warning. Nothing. Exasperated, she rubbed her tired eyes and, though reluctant to concede defeat, finally closed the large, heavy book. Always commendably diligent in her undertakings, she was irritated by the prospect that she had made some careless error and annoyed that she couldn't trace it. All indication had predicted a period of sunbright days above the clouds, despite wet and wintry conditions below. These blizzard conditions were puzzling. This whole cycle has been beset with queer weather, starting with reports of that tempest in the east, she muttered aloud, folding the charts, resisting the urge to scan them once more. Because of the communications delay, the eventual news of the earthquake and of Ares' journeying had not yet reached her, and though she wasn't aware that Sagittarius had been delayed on the sweeps, she rightly supposed the current blizzards had prevented him from delivering the due consignment of firebright gems. As a rule, until the onset of late winter, with its furious snowstorms, the peaks were spared much of the bad weather because they towered above the clouds. Her realm being the highest in all the land, it was her task to monitor weather conditions because she was the first to be aware of impending changes. Sun and moon dials were set on strategic compass points on the pinnacle which ascended above Capricorn's living quarters, her halls as the collective called them. These halls were a network of hollows formed in the ice and rock layers at the base of the pinnacle, the tallest of all the peaks. And all the peaks were her domain, her empire, as she preferred to call it. Being scrupulous in keeping records, she was responsible for tracking the cycles of the sun, moon and other lights against the seemingly fixed background of stars. These movements she also tabled in her log. Thankfully, these cycles were more predictable than the weather. Capricorn actually enjoyed gathering facts and figures. She disliked the disorderly and knew that by keeping tables... That which at first seemed random would eventually prove to conform to a pattern. Marking these repeating patterns enabled those of the collective to know the onset of the seasons, to judge the best times for planting and harvesting and to make plans for their celebration of light. Monitoring these movements provided her with the power of facts. This power she used to gain controlling hand at the collective's planning meetings should Sagittarius, or the Pisces for instance, wish to negotiate the time of the celebration to accommodate some trip they had in mind, 
She would then bring discussions back to the known facts and, whenever possible, have them conform to the set agenda. Living for the most part in quiet solitude, from her vantage point she was able to cast an eye over her closest neighbours, Sagittarius on one side of the mountain and Aquarius on the other. Unlike herself, or Libra and Scorpio for that matter, these two characters refused to conform to an orderly regime of duties and needed to be held to account for their actions from time to time. As for the Pisces, well, if they ever acted as predicted, it was unexpected. Though Capricorn sometimes seemed austere to her fellows, her dry sense of humour always hit the mark. She gave her colleagues nicknames contrived from what she observed as their not-so-outstanding attributes, all of which would benefit from a little self-discipline. Libra she called lackaday, Sagittarius was slapdash, Aquarius was awkward, while Scorpio was obviously schemer, and the Pisces, fond of them though she was, were nothing if not wishy and washy. She returned the logbook and charts their proper place on the top shelf of the large mahogany bookcase which housed all her files and records. A cold draught whistled through the halls, prompting her to fetch fuel for the fire which had burned to ashy embers in the grate of the grand marble fireplace, a gift from Libra. Comfortable in cool temperatures, she rarely stoked the fire to a blazing heat, but did enjoy a rosy glow when the north wind froze all with its breath. The floor in this high ceiling chamber was suspended just above ground level to counter the incline of the rock. As surface ice on the wall slowly melted, the water ran under the floor into a deep rock pool in the corner of the room. Here she kept exotic fish, a gift from the Pisces, along with alpine and aquatic plants from Aquarius. As well as her desk, there was a sundial in front of a large panoramic window which looked out onto the snowfield and across the peaks. And off to one side of the window, being a lover of ethereal music, stood a large harp she enjoyed playing. These, along with the other furnishings of a polished mahogany table set with ten high-backed chairs, gave the room a formal feel. Her one concession to coziness was a fireside rocking chair and a lamp table under which she kept a basket of various yarns. During the quiet evenings, she loved to sew and knit. She made her way to the fuel store outside the back door, which was sheltered by the cascade of ice, and selected a few choice lumps for her scuttle. As well as the gems, Scorpio also provided coal from the mines. Turning to go back inside, she spied a ghost-like form moving across the snowfield towards her. Nonsense, she told herself, remaining composed. Though startled by the apparition, being inherently sensible, she felt it was no more than an image conjured by the swirling snow. She was about to close and lock her back door when Ares collapsed on the doorstep. Shivering convulsively, he could barely say his name through chattering teeth, and Capricorn gasped in disbelief. Ares here? Why have I had no word of this? She was cross at being so left in the dark and took a moment to collect herself. She helped him to the main hall and sat him by the hearth. Sagittarius is hurt outside, he shivered. First things first, she replied. In no time at all, he was wrapped in blankets in front of the glowing fire. 
She left him sipping hot broth and went to investigate his claim about Sagittarius, which she could scarcely believe. This whole situation was unbelievable. Taking a lantern, she ventured out onto the snow. True enough, she caught the sight of the centaur dragging himself towards her. Sad, she cried, shocked to see him so out of action. Oh, it's this cursed hip, he groaned. It feels frozen. I feel I may be lamed, Cap. He sounded so despairing, so out of character. The terrifying belief that he would be lamed had tortured him in his lowest moments of illness, after Serpentus had bit him, because he had accepted it was self-incited at that time by his carousing. My overblown confidence has done for me. Oh, wretched, wretched, he railed. It was so unlike him to give way to such pessimism, but the reality of not being able to move his limbs, to be permanently hobbled by pain, struck a blow that daunted even his strong spirit. Oh, nonsense, stop this talk. It's just a spasm because you're exhausted. Now get to your feet, she commanded sternly. I'll support you. Capricorn could not bear for Sagittarius to believe he might be lamed and refused to accept it herself, hence her tone. It took some effort on both their parts, but eventually he was up and able to limp indoors to join Ares by the fireside. Feeling nicely thawed but very poorly, Ares found himself being gently but firmly ushered to bed to recuperate. On her return to the hall, she brought Sag a cup of chamomile tea and an ointment infused with herbs to rub on his hip. This tea will help to relax the muscles. I know because I often get stiff sitting at my desk, causing both muscle and joint pain. And rub this on the spot. She handed him the pot of ointment. On this occasion, he did exactly as instructed. Now, she said in the business-like tone she used to open their meetings, tell me what's going on. I'm hoping to learn the news from you, yawned Sag feeling warm and soothed. I know nothing, were the last words he heard her utter as he faded into sleep. Capricorn went about the business of making him comfortable with silent efficiency. She reasoned that her unexpected guests were in no state to answer questions sensibly and preferred to wait until such time as either one of them was sufficiently recovered. The inclement weather was preventing any exchange of news to or from other members of the collective, but she could wait patiently for that to improve too. Patience was Capricorn's strong suit. The next morning she checked on them both. Ares was feverish and still very poorly. He must remain on bed rest. She was relieved to see Saj getting back on form, pacing around the room, exercising his afflicted limb, he related what he had learned since rescuing Ares in the cave. I thought you would certainly know what Scorpio had discovered and the reasons behind her actions, he said. Capricorn repeated that she'd received no communications due to bad weather. Furthermore, the consignment of gems was late due to his delay on the sweeps. Oh, give me another day and I'll be right as rain, he smiled, offering his cup for another brew of tea. The sooner I get to Scorpio, the wiser we'll all be but the weather turned more aggressive and it was two days before he was able to leave with assurances that he would return as quickly as possible with the gems.
After a short time in Capricorn's care, with its strict regime of eating, exercise and sleeping, Aries quickly grew strong and fit again. The wounds to his flesh had healed, helped by the ointment she'd applied, and stubble was growing where his fleece had once been scorched. To keep out the cold, Capricorn had knitted him a warm coat from thick black yarn she had thriftily salvaged from an old woollen blanket. It fitted snugly, and he thanked her effusively as she secured the collar high around his neck. Overjoyed to feel more like himself again, with enthusiastic thank yous, he nuzzled her cheek. Being naturally shy, she was abashed by his impassioned responses to her handiwork and instinctively dubbed him ardent. Capricorn had a studious demeanour and dignified bearing. Her upper body was that of a slender goat with straight fluted horns and a silky smooth white coat. From the waist down, in place of legs, she had a silvery fish-like tail which curled around on itself at the flukes. Her tail, she told him, was an invaluable asset when traversing her icy empire. He much admired her, but her adherence to discipline and routine, her insistence on his locking doors behind him, he found mildly challenging. But after his recent experience he had matured, so found it easier to accept rather than contest her house rules. During his days of recovery, he explained about his leaving the headland and his fears for the clan. She assured him that all would be done to get news of them and to speed his journey home. She had listened attentively to his account of his travels and recent trials. I find it no surprise that your mind released its secrets in the depths of Scorpio's labyrinth, she said. And your report of an underground lake spilling water throws light on what is a probable cause of the transforming fire diminishing. Knowing the cause will help us to find the remedy. You've done well, and shall certainly be the guest of honour at the celebration. But what about Scorpio? Why did she send Serpentance to attack me? He was still troubled by feelings of injustice and needed to acquit himself. I can think of no obvious reason why she would, Cap replied coolly. As Sagittarius says, there has to be more to all this. He should be returning soon. Be patient and wait to see what he's found out. Ares expressed his interest in her maps of the night sky. She explained that she plots the movements of the sun and moon against the background of stars. She pointed to the differing shapes the star clusters formed, calling these images constellations. And we have named twelve of these constellations after our twelve realms. There are other, lesser lights, which also move through the constellations, and each have their own cycle too, some moving quicker than others. It is in these repeating patterns formed during their cycles that we in the collective search for clues to the nature of their correlation to events here, a sort of grand unification of nature. Cycles are all about doing the arithmetic, seeing what adds up. Does calculating these cycles mean you know what events are going to happen? He was highly curious. With regards to the sun and moon, certainly, she said. But the lesser lights require many observations to accurately determine their correlation to matters here, and we still have much to learn. However, it is true to say that many factors are involved in the becoming of an event, and many events come to pass, but not in the way as might have been predicted or anticipated. Ares understood this last point, 
as he recalled the vision of his ambition to conquer the topmost peak compared to the actual way in which he had arrived. Capricorn had explained as much as he wished to know at this time and his response to her next instruction was none too keen. Study the maps and learn to recognise the constellations, starting with Aries. She set him to work, sure that he had enough curiosity and self-interest to at least begin. Next morning the weather had completely cleared on the higher peaks, so they were able to venture outside in the bright sunshine. In marked contrast to his sorry arrival, he pranced and frolicked in the soft, thick snow. His exuberance touched the playful side of Capricorn, who, liking nothing better than sporty fun, began lobbing snowballs at him. It had been a long time since either of them had enjoyed themselves so much. But then she became serious again. She'd been giving a great deal of thought to what he'd explained about his escape from the labyrinth. He'd been following the course of a waterfall before stumbling across the opening which had led to the cave on the sweeps. Obviously this waterflow came from the mountain. However, there has to be much more than one sort of water into the labyrinth to create the lake and flood Ares had described. Also, that the water had been salty suggested some inlet from the ocean. She questioned him again to make sure she had her facts straight. Salt water? Hmm, perhaps I should tax Aquarius about this. He might be responsible in some way. She was thinking about an escapade in the middle of a large lake in Aquarius's realm. It had involved a number of noxious substances, loud bangs, and the spectacular partial disintegration of the rock below one side of his lake. She told him about it. Aquarius had been persuaded by the Pisces that a waterfall through that particular rock would look very pretty and form another, lower lake, nearer to the Pisces themselves. Luckily, he had orchestrated this demonstration of firepower from the safety of the opposite shore. We were all quite shaken by the explosion, and he's agreed not to conduct any future experiments without a full discussion and consent of all the collective. I remember he was a little withdrawn during later talks about his discovery's possible uses, and most unusual for him, because he's always enthusiastic to promote his ideas. She said that the realm of Aquarius lay on the far side of the mountain range. Lakes and waterfalls cascaded through the woodlands and formed a river which runs to the ocean. Oh, it's a beautiful place, and usually tranquil until boom... I still hear the occasional crack and bang, but he assures me that these firepowder experiments offer amusement only. He's most odd at times. Oh, I don't mean that unkindly, she added. He is quite ingenious and has invented many useful things to help the collective in their tasks. Of course, you'll meet him at the celebration, and he will doubtless arrive in some extraordinary fashion. You may think your flight with the stork was extraordinary, but Aquarius has taken to gliding over his realm, clinging to a great wing-like structure he's constructed with sails. <laughs> Don't be surprised if he appears in a puff of smoke at the coming celebration, she said, laughing. As she finished speaking, they walked around the base of the pinnacle to re-enter the halls through her grand colonnade of ice, her front door. With mild embarrassment, she realised that she had talked all the way home. Going directly to her desk, she began to write a report about Ares' observations in the labyrinth. This done, she then checked her sundial. 
Since it promises to stay fine, I thought you might like a climb to my watchtower at the top of this peak. We have time and there are fantastic views. He said he was quite able to do that, and as they began their ascent, she noticed his impatience to reach the top, so challenged him to a race. Invigorated by competition, he began to madly scramble up the twisting snow-covered track, slipping only once or twice. Puffing and blowing, he reached the summit, certain of victory. But to his astonishment, Capricorn was serenely waiting for him to join her. How did you beat me, he panted, puzzled since he had not seen her overtake him. Oh, there's more than one way to the top, she smiled. It pays to be sure of your ground before accepting a challenge. He congratulated her, not feeling too sore about losing for once, and realising this was yet another of her lessons. She led him round to a tower where she kept a store of provisions along with a telescope, measuring instruments and dials. They were greeted by a pair of high-flying ravens who'd taken shelter there during the unexpected blizzards. Capricorn welcomed them, knowing they would be very discreet guests who would mind their own business and cause no concern. She lit a fire in the small stove and in no time at all was serving warm drinks and sandwiches. He wanted to enjoy the views, but she insisted he stay to help with her calculations. Business before pleasure, she reminded him. The afternoon passed quickly, and come sunset the work was done. He climbed the spiralling stairs to the top of the tower and looked through the telescope there. The range of sparkling peaks stretched north and south as far as his eye could see. The clouds below had cleared, and looking east, over the canyons and the plateau of Sagittarius, he could just discern the roof of Libra's villa nestling among the snow-covered foothills far below. Beyond there, his view diminished over the expanse of moorlands, but he now knew that in the distance lay the cultivated fields of Virgo, the sun-drenched plains of Leo, the tropical valley of Cancer, the forests of the Gemini, the lush meadowlands of Taurus, and finally, the eastern hills and glens of the headland, or what might remain of it. He had achieved much of his goal since leaving home, but felt he had paid a great price. Not wanting to dwell on the past, he turned west to look over the lower lakes in the frosted marshlands of Aquarius, and way, way out to the ocean's far horizon. It took his breath away. The last rays of the winter sun let a thin trail of light over the vast rolling water back to the distant shore. Oh, is the ocean a realm too? he asked as Capricorn joined him. With eyes downcast, she gave a long, sad sigh. The ocean is the domain of the Pisces, she murmured. Then breaking her mood, looked up. However, to deal with the present... Since the skies are clear, tonight will be perfect to view the stars and I will be able to test you on how many constellations you've learned and remembered. He inwardly groaned. He might have known. He wanted to ask her about the Pisces, but knew his questions would have to wait until business was finished. That evening, after their stargazing, when he had acquitted himself reasonably well, they returned to the tower and the welcoming warmth of the stove. The night had turned bitterly cold, and Capricorn said it was best that they stay overnight and return to the main halls in the morning. It was a cosy evening, spent pleasantly chatting about different natures of the realms and their sovereigns, 
until he came to mention the Gemini's teasing of cancer and the incident with the Black Pearl. Capricorn could not contain her excitement at his revelation. She made him repeat his recollections of the situation and his description of the gem. So, in fact, the Gemini found the pearl and you're absolutely sure that cancer now has it. Absolutely sure. This is what he honestly believed. This is the most marvellous news. Marvellous. There is still time. She may be saved. Oh, thank the stars. I must let Scorpio know at first light and she can send Eagle to retrieve the pearl. At last it has been found and just in the nick of time. Who will be saved? Why is this pearl so important? He asked, caught up in her relation. It belongs to Picella, one of the Pisces sisters, she explained. They each have a pearl which acts as their compass and safeguard in the deep ocean, which is their true home. What actually happened, how she came to lose the gem, is all a bit mysterious and we never quite got to the bottom of it, but then the Pisces are always a little vague when it comes to explaining themselves. It's not that they're deliberately hiding something, it's just that the details tend to escape them. They're quite opposite from Virgo then, he said. She never misses a detail. Oh, quite so. Well observed, she praised. However, suffice it to say that without her pearl, Picella dare not enter the ocean for fear of being lost to its depths. She has been confined to the safety of their grotto in shallow waters, but she is withering from the loss. If the pearl is not returned to her by the time the thirteenth moon begins to lose light, she will fade away too. Her eyes brimmed with tears. She could hardly voice these last words, saddened by the looming fate of her dearest washy. Pulling herself together, she continued to enlighten him. The Pisces are bound together and are inseparable. Should one perish, then so will her sister pine away too. Their pearls work in unison also, otherwise the Pisces would swim only in circles. It is vital for both their sakes to retrieve Picella's pearl as soon as possible, though how it had arrived in the realm of Gemini is another mystery. Oh, I think I might have an idea about that. He was thinking of the Shrike and putting two and two together. He told her all he knew of the Shrike, what the Gemini had told him, and his suspicions in this regard. He wanted to carry on discussing the Shrike, speculating about its evil intentions, the role it might have played in the matter of the missing pearl, although he still couldn't understand why it had wanted to discredit him, and was as baffled by this as by Scorpio's attack on him. He still viewed it that way. Well, hopefully we will soon have possession of all the facts, at which time we can draw firm conclusions. But first things first. To retrieve the pearl, we must be up at first light. So saying, she pulled on her nightcap, pulled up her blankets and bid him good night. Awake with the dawn, Capricorn quickly set about sending her news of the pearl to Scorpio with one of the ravens, who was delighted to oblige. Meanwhile, Ares was strutting around, reliving his former glory. Oh, the headland is the first to see the sun, he proclaimed, and I was the first in the lands to wake, first to run, first in everything. She was busy making notes in her book of tables, but glanced at him from the corner of her eye. And not first in everything, ardent, she murmured, and blotting the page, stated coolly, The thirteenth moon will be in four days' time. I'm the first to know that. He laughed with admiration. 
she most seriously was as competitive as himself. In fact, she was the most competitive of the characters he had met so far, bar none. Feeling full of energy, he challenged her to a race again down the pinnacle. She regarded him with a wry smile. Are you quite sure that's what you want? Oh, absolutely. Then race we shall, she answered happily, packing away her work. But the loser must pay a price. They agreed that if Ares won, he would spend his time practising snow travelling before the celebration. But if Capricorn won, then his time would be spent in extra lessons on updating the logbooks. She locked the books away and brought out a pair of toboggans. It's only fair to have equal advantage, she said. I would usually glide on my tail, but that would assure me of victory. However, today we will both use these ingenious innovations of Aquarius, devised to make snow travel easier for those not so naturally equipped as myself. But I warn you, they need skill in handling. Sagittarius has become a master at it, but it took a little time. After some practice in handling the toboggans, they took their starting positions on the edge of the slope. He could see that the descent would need nerves of steel, as well as skill if he was to beat Capricorn to her front door. If Sag can do it, so can I, he told himself, smiling secretly. When it comes to sheer nerve, I'll show Miss Cap it all who's first. Their adrenaline surged. Ready? Go! Racing neck to neck, exhilarated by contest, they gathered speed, flying over bumps in the snow, skidding round the first bend, skittering round the next. Airy was just in front. As faster and faster they spiralled down the slope, steering towards the narrow ledge curving towards the plateau outside her front door. Capricorn was fully enjoying herself and with due skill pulled ahead. Who's first now, she called, shooting a spray of snow across his bow. Incensed by the prospect of losing, he threw caution to the wind and tried to overtake. It was a reckless manoeuvre at such speed. He lost control of his craft and hurtled into space over the far side of the range. She skidded to a halt and rushed to help, but too late. She could only watch in trepidation as he tumbled down the mountainside, gathering pace and snow as he went. Oh dear, dear, ardent, she sighed, sad to suddenly lose her sporty companion. First to take a tumble. She must alert Aquarius to the situation immediately, since he would have to help her mount a rescue. Sage's journey down to Scorpio's realm had been fraught with danger due to the lack of visibility during the storms. But as was his way, he casually swaggered into Scorpio's chamber with the carefree air of one who was dropping by for a cup of tea. Libra was over the moon to see him, and they embraced as long-lost friends. Oh, Sagittarius, thank the stars. I left a letter for you at the cabin. Have you been there? Sag shook his head. Nope. But I'm glad to find you here. He brushed back the forelock of hair that invariably locked over an eye. But first, I'm vanished, old bean. Any chance of a bite and a glass of Scorpio's excellent wine? Where is she, by the way? Oh, she's in the labyrinth, searching for Ares. I'll tell you all over supper. While Sage helped himself to wine, Libra went to organise some food. He returned with a large omelette and plateful of spicy potatoes. I've so much to tell you, he frowned as Sage tucked in. There has been mayhem and now tragedy. 
Today I sent a message to Aquarius asking him to join me here. He has to be told what's happened, and Capricorn too. But I could summon only a robin to take the message to him. They won't fly to great heights. Dovers at the villa are awaiting my return. I really don't know where to begin. Libra looked and sounded strained. The worry of many days and nights with no news from Scorpio was taking its toll. Sag drained his glass and held it up for a refill. Libra, my good friend, fret no more. I have the best news for you and can recommend the mouse grapevine of no high flyer can be summoned. He smiled his wide grin. Aries is alive and is with Capricorn. Libra fell back onto the cushion's mouth agape. Sarge poured them both a glass and related the tale of Ares' rescue from the labyrinth. Then the pearl is safe too. Oh, this really is the best news, Sarge. What are you talking about? The black pearl? Of course the black pearl, returned Libra excited, and went on to explain what Scorpio had learned from the forest. Until this point, their mood had been one of reunion and celebration. But on hearing that Ares had been carrying the pearl... Sadger's mood deflated like a bubble burst. He stared into the fire. He doesn't have it now, he said flatly. Trust me, or I would have seen it. Or if not me, then Capricorn. She's been nursing him. No, he has nothing on him. The fire scorched him naked. It's a miracle he survived. My guess is that the pearl was lost at that point. There is a chance Scorpio might find it down there. She's searching as much for the pearl as for him, said Libra. But he sounded far from optimistic. Sagittarius stayed on for a further three days, waiting for Scorpio to emerge. In that time, the only news to arrive was from the raven sent by Capricorn, saying the pearl was with cancer. Both now knew this was no longer the case. I'm sorry, Libs, but this news prompts me to get back immediately. Though Scorpio is due to return at any time, I must let Capricorn know the true situation. With that, he set about stowing the caskets of fire-bright gems and took his leave. He was struggling to get up the mountain with the heavy consignment of gems. Snowdrifts impeded his progress, causing him to divert from his usual route. And being mindful of his hip injury, he decided not to take any chances with dangerous shortcuts. That was Marion Mente reading the Capricorn chapter of her book, Follow the Sun. Now, Marion. Miss Capricorn does have a no-nonsense attitude, doesn't she? But you also have her enjoying sporty fun, something not ordinarily associated with this sign, I understand. (laughs) That's correct. Why is that then? Well, because it is ruled by Saturn. But, you know, uh, Although Capricorn's ruled by Saturn and has gained a reputation for being the taskmaster of the zodiac, the planet Mars is exalted in this sign, which means its fiery energy is expressed easily here. Hence, uh, Miss Capricorn's exuberance and playfulness in the company of Mars-ruled Aries. However, exaltations are something that would be covered if one wished to go so far as to make a serious study of astrology, for which there are, you know, many excellent manuals and study courses available. Uh, Here, I think it's enough to give some explanation about the planet Saturn and what it signifies. 
You see, Saturn, it's the furthermost of the planets that can be seen with the naked eye. It's the edge of our natural vision. And so naturally it forms a boundary, a form which encompasses the orbits of those planets we can observe from Earth. This also suggests limitation as far as we can physically see without the age of technology. Compared to luminous Venus and Jupiter, Saturn seemed dull and slow since it takes around 29 years to complete its orbit. Because of its association with limitation and the end of things, the ancients deemed Saturn to be the harbinger of doom and gloom. But thankfully, I mean, that view has developed. And with the introduction of telescopes, we've been able to see the rings around Saturn, a wonderful sight that gives Saturn its due majesty. And to quote one renowned astrologer, it was as though shutters had been removed from our thinking. Mankind had embarked on a journey to maturity. That's amazing, isn't it? That before we had any telescopes, you Saturn, see would, have, no. Saturn would have been seen to be on the Dull edge of the universe as and well. It did, well, it still is. You still need to... In some parts of the world, you can still see Saturn with the naked eye, you know, with no light pollution, but you cannot see beyond it. You need technology to go beyond. It's all quite fascinating the way the world's worked out with things, yes. I think. Yeah. So how is Saturn now regarded? Well, I think it's now regarded as the great teacher and it's associated with authority. Okay. And the placing of Saturn in one's chart gives a clue to the kind of problems one's likely to encounter and the way in which they might be tackled. Capricorn, you know, being that this is where you need to learn your lessons, sort of, sort of thing. Oh, right. Yeah. So you need to take, be aware of where Saturn that's right. is in your yeah, chart. Yeah, that's it's just, and it's only symbolic. It's not affecting you. It's just a symbolic thing. That's probably where I'm having some problems. That's what I need to look at. And, um, and Capricorn energy has the patience to keep going at its goals and the determination to succeed no matter how long it takes. I mean, I always say, never underestimate a Capricorn, since they invariably endeavour to get to where they want to be. Ooh, wow. <laughs> I know. That's right. They're very... People, as you know, they, they quietly go away in the background there. Get they will get to... They achieve. want the top of the tree. They will get to the top of the tree. All right. So now you've talked about the Saturn return. And I think that this is so termed... Because it takes Saturn 29 years or thereabouts to return it to the place where it was when we were born, is that right? That's right. That's how long it takes to travel in its orbit. So in our lifespan, around the time we've reached about age 29, we've come to realise there are certain dreams we might have entertained in adolescence that are no longer relevant or open to us for, to fulfil. I mean... It's such as it, you know, it's not likely that we become a, an Olympic athlete or great sports person unless we've been training for the same since early youth, you know. Come 29, we've realised that there are certain skills and talents that are not innate to us. However, there are also certain activities or life paths that we've embarked upon and it's, it's a taking stock time. And sometimes this is expressed by people settling down and getting on with it, what we call the realities of life. Yes, it's the, it's the, it's the bit <laughs> where you have thought. to, it's the sobering <laughs> thought, isn't it? It's yeah, yeah. putting down some roots and That's right. stop flitting about. All right, Marion. Well, look, thank you. Thank you, Pommy. 
You've been listening to the latest podcast in the series Follow the Sun. Look out for our next one, where Marion will be taking us into the penultimate sign of Aquarius. This is a story based on the sequence of the zodiac, so make sure you don't miss out by subscribing through your favourite podcast provider. Follow the Sun was written by Marion Mente. The podcast was produced and presented by me, Pomi Harmer, and it was a Black Pearl production. Thank you.